Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Are you ready for Acts chapter 15 tonight? That's where we are tonight in our study of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. All right, Acts chapter 15. By the time we get to Acts chapter 15, uh, we, we see the church growing. We see especially the church in Antioch is real strong. I mean, the church in Antioch has already sent Paul and Barnabas out in Acts chapter 13 on their first missionary journey. They've come back, and uh, then, then they've, you know, uh, you know uh, just, just, it's growing. The church in Antioch is really growing. But it so happens by the time we get to Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, we find that there are some people that came to the church in Antioch to teach. And when they came there and started teaching, they started teaching some things that Paul and Barnabas did not believe. And that Paul and Barnabas did not want these things to be taught in the church. Specifically, they came to the church teaching that in order for you to be born again as a Gentile, you had to first be circumcised and you had to first keep the law of Moses. So you had to start keeping the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas said, this is just not the truth. My goodness, why in the world would you want to put something, a heavy burden, on these Gentile Christians that none of us Jews were ever able to keep? And so they began to have some, you know, uh, uh, some contention and saying, look, don't be preaching that. You do not have to first become a Jew. You do not have to first keep the law of Moses. You don't have to first, men do not have to first be circumcised before they can be born again and lead their family in this new way uh, um, as, as followers of Jesus. And so... Uh, what we're going to find out in chapter 15, there's just so much in chapter 15 that I didn't want to do it in injustice. So I want to share some of the points, some of the major points that we find in chapter 15. Now, um, when this contention happened in Antioch, the church decided that the way we need to settle this is we are going to send Paul and Barnabas and some of the other church leaders and some of the people from both sides of the aisle, we're going to send you down to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and to meet with the elders in the church at Jerusalem and for us to settle this so that we will have one rule, so that we can have one standard, so that we can have one doctrine by which all the churches will agree and live accordingly. And so Paul and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem along with some people who were on the other side of that aisle who believed that you had to be a Jew before you could be a Christian. And if you were a Gentile, you had to convert to Judaism. You had to be circumcised as a male. And you also had to keep the law, the dietary laws and all the other laws. And so, you know, uh, they got to Jerusalem. And they presented themselves. The church came together, the apostles and the elders, and they presented themselves before this council of the church in Jerusalem, a very important meeting. In fact, it's the reason why what came out of this meeting is the reason right now why you get to eat shrimp. Hello? There would be no Cajun Christians. Because you can't eat gumbo in any kosher way. Okay? I mean, them, them Cajuns, they make gumbo out of anything. Okay? There'd be no Nutra Rat gumbo going on. I mean, this had a major impact. 
It had major impact. This is the reason why that you can, can, can go to work or, 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 or walk, you know, or drive on Saturday. This council that we're about to read about and understand about is the reason that you can be a Christian without being a religious Jew keeping all of the laws of Moses, included how far you could walk and how long you could work and everything else under the sun. It's the reason why you can have meat and cheese in your home and you can eat them out of the same bowl because if you were a religious Jew, you would not be able to have a meat in any plate. You couldn't have a pizza with cheese and pepperoni. Hello? I mean, we don't, we, we haven't ever realized just how important this 15th chapter of, of, of the book of Acts is. Think about it. Are you wearing anything that is a mixed blend, cotton and polyester? If you, you're going to hell under the law of Moses. Yeah, you don't have tassels on the four corners of your yard. You know, I mean, come on. There's so many laws that you would have been obligated to keep or be stoned in public were it not for Paul and Barnabas standing up in Antioch and the leaders sending them down to Jerusalem and the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem sitting down and convening to hear this matter and making a judgment concerning who is and who is not born again, what did and did not occur in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, what he accomplished in the flesh and how much it paid for our salvation and set us free from the bondage which was under the law of Moses to the law. Now, in this council, Peter stands up and he begins to say, listen, you know, everybody here, you know that God led me to Caesarea and we saw the first conversion of a whole Gentile family. You saw that God chose them out and he, he, he filled them with the Holy Spirit. He saved their soul. He forgave their sins just like he did us. He said there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. Not one bit of difference, he said. Everybody has to get saved through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through keeping the law. He said, in fact, our forefathers were unable to keep it, and we're unable to keep it, so why would we expect anybody else to try to keep it? Jesus kept it, and he set us free from the curse of sin and death. Then Paul and Barnabas got up, and they began to give testimony of how all the, the Gentiles they had led to the Lord and how God had, had shown that, that he was willing to save Gentiles and willing to bring them into his kingdom without them having to become a Jew first. This was a big thing. Now, later on, it backfired on them a little bit under Nero because once the church succeeded, and not just being a part of Judaism. All of a sudden it came out from under the umbrella covering and protection of a state-sanctioned religion. And it became a renegade religion, uncovered by the state. And 
allowed to be persecuted without representation. But nonetheless, this price that is paid by these men to say that we do not have to keep the law in order to be saved was, was, was a price they were willing to pay to make sure people understood that this is just not a one sect of Judaism. It's not like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the Christians. Okay? It's not just one, one group of Jews. God has always intended. In fact, after, after Paul and Barnabas spoke, the pastor in the church in Jerusalem, who is evidently the leader, he stands up and he begins to speak and he gives his decision. After hearing everyone and everyone had finished, James, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up, calls the place to order, and he says, my decision on this matter is this, giving us an understanding that there is a hierarchy in the church of the living God. And here we saw James deliver doctrine to the church and thank God that he did because, you know, uh, we, we are the beneficiaries of a salvation that comes to us no matter who we are, what we've done, and comes to us full and free without any weight or encumbrances. Well, James stood up and one of the things that James says is quite profound. He said in Acts 15 verse 18, he says, known to God from eternity are all his works. Wow. What does that mean? It means that God always knew what he was doing. God has always planned from the very beginning of eternity. Known to God from eternity. That means from the very beginning. Known to God from the very beginning are all his works. Well, God always knew that he was going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. It was always his plan. That's what Amos prophesied in Amos chapter 9. In Amos chapter 9, the Word of God says in verse 11, it says, Amos prophesying, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. That's the very scripture that James quoted in, in Acts 15, verses 16 and 17. He said, this is how we can know that God knows all things, even from the beginning, because even the prophets prophesied that the Gentiles were going to call upon his name and that all the Gentiles will be called by his name. Wow. You see, God knew that he was going to save the Gentiles and began showing us way back there. And this is what James is contending. You may remember Noah. You remember when Noah got off the boat? He had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Y'all remember? When Noah got off the boat and, and uh, you know, that they, were, they had planted a garden and in the process of time, grapes had grown and, and they made some wine from the grapes and, and Noah had drank some wine and he had uh, gotten, uh, you know, a, a little bit incapacitated, went into his tent and uh, one of his grandsons named Canaan, who was a descendant of Ham, went in and in some way uh, um, uncovered the nakedness, is what the Bible says, of, his, of, 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 Ab of uh, Noah. And when Noah came to and realized this, Noah spoke prophetically. He made three prophecies. One of the prophecies had three parts to it. But this is what Noah said that gives us insight into God's intent. Now, here's what he said in, in Genesis 9, 27. 
May God enlarge Japheth. Now, Japheth is the father of Gentiles. May God enlarge Gentiles. Well, let me ask you, are there more Jews or more Gentiles today? They both came from one man, both of them. Well, this is the part of Noah's prophecy. May God enlarge Japheth. And may Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Shem is the father of the Israelites. God is giving us indication here that one day the Gentiles will dwell in the tents of Shem, in the tents of the Israelites. The, the, the Israelites had a tent, had a tabernacle, had a covering by God where they met with God, very special. But one day God would enlarge Japheth and the Gentiles would one day move into the dwelling places of the Israelites. Now that is a spiritual, this is, is, is spiritual, it's not just natural, it is a spiritual phenomenon. This is, this is the will of God, always has been. You see, God knows from eternity everything that he is going to do. A second point that we see as we're reading through the 15th chapter, uh, and, and as I share these points, these points are just, you know, points of interest, okay? Because the story unfolds and talks about different people and different things, and we pick up a, a few points, a few notes all through the chapter. One of the points is, is that God knows the end from the beginning. Another something I found interesting in this chapter is that Silas, you remember, if, if you remember Paul and Silas, I always imagined when I would read about Paul and Silas that Silas was, you know, just some young man that was going around with Paul, you know, some, some young disciple. And even though Silas was a disciple, yet do you know Silas was a very recognized prophet in the church in Jerusalem. He was so well known and so renowned as a prophet that he was sent to Antioch by the church in Jerusalem to help confirm the decision of James concerning that Gentiles do not have to keep the law of Moses in order to become a part of the church of the living God. And Silas, this prophet, went up to Antioch and brought word to them. He was a well-recognized prophet before he ever became a missionary with Paul. Acts 15 verse 32 says, now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also. Did you ever realize that there are New Testament prophets? Here Silas is a New Testament, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and the Word of God calls him a bona fide prophet. He was a prophet. Judas was a prophet. There are a number of prophets in the New Testament. Prophets seem to us like somebody that's, whoa, a little spooky, a little far out there. But this, this concept of prophet means someone who is a foreteller, someone who knows by the Spirit of God what is going to happen before it happens, or somebody who knows by the Spirit of God what happened before. Someone who can tell you this is what you did. I mean, Everybody can prophesy, but that type of prophecy is relegated to exhortation, exer uh, uh, comfort, and, and, and edification. You know, words of encouragement that we give one another, that is equal to prophecy. But yet there are people who more than just give words of encouragement, there are some people who, are, who, who you know, are prophets or who are every now and then touched with this prophetic mantle, you know. Several years ago, we were back in our old church, and uh, there was a woman, as I was walking out of church one day, a woman uh, just got finished preaching. I was walking to the back, going to shake some hands. This has been years and years and years ago, and she came out to the, to, the, to the edge of the aisle, and she stopped me, and 
I said, hey, how are you doing today? She said, well, you tell me, prophet. That's exactly how she said it, like, nee, 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 prophet. Well, I didn't really know this lady, you know. But the Spirit of God came on me, and I said, you've been sleeping with a 17-year-old man and a boy, and you are pregnant by him. Is that true? She looked at me like, I said, is it true? You have committed adultery with a 17-year-old boy, and you are pregnant by him. Now, she was about, oh, 30 years old. She just looked at me like that. I said, you go home and you tell your husband. Thus saith the Lord. And I went on out and started shaking hands. It just, it just happens. And it was true, by the way. I can probably tell you a hundred of those incidents that's happened. And I'm not a prophet. Can you imagine what a prophet can do under the Holy Spirit of God? Wow. It's amazing. Well, Silas was one of these young men who was not just prophetic, not just an encourager, but Silas was a man recognized by the church in Jerusalem as a bona fide prophet of the Lord. I find that very interesting that we get a little insight into what, uh, uh, what Silas's life was like. Uh, a third thing that, that I have found interesting in Acts chapter 15 is that the church in Antioch, you know, it was a real hub of activity. The Bible says in Acts 15 verse 35 that Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. There were so many teachers and preachers. You see, the church in Antioch is an example church for us. We should have in our church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We should have people in our church, a lot of them that are working young and, and, and mature and seasoned that are able to give words of encouragement and words of foreknowledge, warning words. I mean, uh, we, we, we should be able you know, I, I, I went to Dallas one day. I was, I, I, I was pastoring in, in Louisiana, and I drove to Dallas to see a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, he was, he, he, he's a pastor. And he, and he talked me into spending the night with him. And so I went at Lawrence Kennedy, if you know uh, Dr. Lawrence Kennedy. Uh, he was president of Church on the Rock uh, International for years and years. And pastored a great church in Dallas for a number of years. So I was... I was uh, um, just enjoying spending some time with him and, uh, you know, got away from my church and uh, just we were talking about the things of God. And so uh, I said, sure, I'll spend the night with you. So I, I went over and, and uh, um, you know, we were watching uh, something on TV. And, uh, and, and his wife brought us, Coral brought us some popcorn that night and uh, sat down. We were sitting on the couch just talking. And when she set the popcorn down, uh, 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 Pastor Kennedy, Lawrence said, said, Carl. Well, he called her Carl. He has a deep voice. Carl. He said it like that. Carl. She said, what, honey? He said, tell him I'm a prophet. <laughs> she looked. He said, tell him I'm a prophet. <laughs> and she said, he's a prophet. I said, well, I know. I've, I've, I've. And so I said, okay. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, Thus saith the Lord. And I'm, I'm sitting there eating popcorn on his couch with him, you know. Thus saith the Lord. There's somebody in your church that wants your body. Do you understand me? Your body. I'm, I'm eating the popcorn. I'm going, really? 
He said, when you get home, you're going to get a phone call. And you're going to be asked to go out to their house and counsel them. Don't go. I said, okay. Okay. We went back to watching nothing else. I got home. Guess what happened? I got a phone call from somebody that said, you got to come out my house and, and I, I got to have some counsel right now. And I, I said, well, I tell you what, I'm, 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 I'm going to finish up here in just about 10 minutes and I'm going to swing by the house and pick Brenda up and I'll be right out there. Amen. And they said, no, you're not going by and getting Brenda. You come out here now. I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll. And I said, I'll pick Brenda up. I'll be right out there. They ended up cussing me out so bad. I mean, we're talking about a member in our church that was, you know, a, a, a big member. Cussed me out up one side and down the other and everything else under the sun. That just came out. Do you know, I'm so thankful for my friend Lawrence Kennedy. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. No. I went to a preacher's meeting in Texarkana, Texas, back in 1980, must have been 81, might have been 82. It was 82 because I had a suit. I just got a suit that year. First two years I preached, I didn't have a suit. You know, I didn't even have a car the first two years I preached. But somebody, somebody bought me a suit. Her name was Lillian Foster. She bought me a suit. Miss Lillian brought in that suit and gave it to me. And I remember I put it on. I was so excited. Had me a suit. You know, I was a, I was a real preacher now. You know? And so I, uh, I went to a preacher meeting, sitting there in that suit. And there was probably about 300 pastors there. And, and uh, a real fireball of a man. He's preached for us before. Real fireball of a man. He's, uh, he's you know, close to 90 now. He said, you, come here. Yes, you, get up here. I got up there. He lined up about 30 people and he went by and he started talking. He was, he, he was teaching, using this as an object lesson. And he got to me and he's laid his hands on me and he started laughing. Ha, 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 and pointing at me. Ha, 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 I got intimidated. I, first of all, I really thought somebody's done off, found out I'm not a real preacher. I mean, I, mean, I, I know, I, I mean, I, I, I never felt like one anyway. I just kind of wanted to crawl and leave. Ha, 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 And he kept on real loud, bombastic. Y'all know the guy, Emmanuel Canastracy is his name. And uh, uh, he was just laughing and laughing and laughing at me. And he said, you, and he started hitting me. You, boom, hit me, you. And I thought he was going to say, get out of here. You know, you got, you know, uh, cast him into outer darkness. You should be weeping and gnashing of teeth is what I was expecting because he was just such a powerful man. And he's hitting me in the chest. You, you, you. And he finally backed me up as far as I could go. He said, you, God's going to do it through you, you in a J.C. Penny suit. Now, I didn't even know where the suit came from. And I, I went down like that and I looked. And when I did like this, it said J.C. Penney written across it. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, listen to this man. And he prophesied the next 10 years of my life. And it unfolded just like that. Let me tell you, it's amazing. Just a, oh, about five years ago or so probably, 
Brenda and I, six years ago, we were headed north. We decided to stop at a friend's church and unannounced on a Sunday. Went in. Well, we didn't go in. We got there late in Oklahoma City and went to a hotel, just found one. We didn't expect to be there. Found one. Third floor. We're coming down the next morning on our way to that church. And when the second floor elevator door opened up, that particular man, Emmanuel Cadence Tracy, stepped on the elevator. And he looked at me and said, you in a J.C. Penny suit. We didn't know they were there. Just, you know, amazing. You know, the church should be filled with people who are so in love and so close to God, who live a life of prayer and fasting, that should we need encouragement, that should we need uh, you know, uh, direction, correction, rebuke, instruction, that we could come to the house of God and find what we need so that we could get protection and direction for our life, so that we could get hope, so that we can see mountains moved in our life. I've been encouraging the young people. In fact, this week I even had some of them practice. I said, I'll I, I tell you what I want you to do. I even brought them into the office. And I, I, I set them down in the office. I said, okay, now if Jesus was sitting right there in your shoes, you, you tell me, what do you think Jesus would say to me? You know, what, what, what do you think he wants to say to me? And they're going, I said, no, we got to stir this up. Listen, we, we have to stir the gifts of God up in our lives. Stir up that gift of evangelism. Stir up that gift of, of a prophecy of encouraging others and building them up and strengthening them. We are lights shining in darkness, and, and the light needs to get out, and people need to be encouraged. They need to be warned. They need to be, you know, uh, given hope. Inasmuch as God will speak to us, the church should be filled like the church in Antioch, a patterned church. The church should be filled with teachers and prophets and apostles. We, we don't know all that God is willing to do through us and with us. But we certainly can offer ourselves as a living vessel to him. We don't know how long Paul and Barnabas were in the church in Antioch before Paul went on his next missionary journey. But we do know that during that time at Antioch, while Paul and Barnabas were in this moment in Acts 15, teaching there for a period of time, that the apostle Peter came there. How do we know that Peter came there? Because it's not mentioned in Acts. Well, we know that Peter came there because it's mentioned in Galatians. In the book of Galatians in the second chapter, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And he says this in Galatians 2 verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Oh my goodness. Now Paul and Barnabas were just down in Jerusalem with Peter. And Peter and them were together on the Gentile issue. And now Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and sometime later, Peter gets there. And then a few years later, here Paul is telling the church in Galatia that when Peter came to the church in Antioch while I was there, I withstood him to his face. What happened in Galatia? What, excuse me, what happened in Antioch that Paul had to rebuke the apostle Peter? If you read the story in Galatians, the apostle Paul continues to tell the church in Antioch. He said, the reason that I had to do this was because the apostle Paul was 
was with me on the side of the Gentiles being just like the Jews. There not being any difference. And then we believed that Gentiles could be saved and, and, and God visited them just like he visited the Jews and he poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles just like the Jews. And, 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 and we believed when we were all together that, that, that there was no difference and there was no prejudice and we were all okay together. But whenever he came up to Antioch, he was fine in our Gentile group until some other Jews came along. And when some other Jews got there, religious Jews, the Apostle Peter didn't want to be seen by the religious important Jews as hanging around the Gentiles. And so he separated himself from the Gentiles and wouldn't even eat with the fellow believers. Peter said, I withstood him openly to his face. I got in his face and I told him, look, you know, You're not living according to what you have been preaching and teaching. You've been preaching and teaching that there's no difference. How do you expect anybody else to do any better than you're doing? If you're being prejudiced, if you are, are not being the example of Christ that you know Jesus wants you to be, then how can you stand up and tell anybody else that they should follow Jesus when you aren't. Wow. That covers, kind of covers that issue of being prejudiced. Pretty good. And it wasn't just that Peter was separating himself. People were watching Peter. Other people in the church. He said, not only, Peter, did you separate yourself from other believers because they weren't of the same race, culture, creed. They weren't of the same origin, national origin as you. Not only did you separate yourself from them, but the other people who were watching, you influenced them too, and they became prejudiced. And one of them was Barnabas. Galatians 2, verse 13. As a result... Paul said, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Well, see how much stuff we learn when we just read the Bible. Isn't it interesting? When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, listen, listen, uh, uh, Peter. This is what Paul told him. Since you are eating pork, you, now, come on now, you've got yourself out from under the law. Since, since you have set yourself free, now you're a Jew by birth, but because you became a Christian, Peter, you have set yourself free from keeping all of those, those tenets of the law. Why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? Why are you so negatively influencing others? And then he would write in, uh, in Galatians 3, if you would read it, Oh, foolish Galatians! Who hath bewitched you? Literally, who has 
put this curse on you so that you would be so blind to not realize that Jesus Christ loves and saves every person without respect in regard to who they are, where they are. They don't have to get cleaned up before they come to him. They don't have to prove anything to anybody. All they got to do is open up their heart and he will save their soul and he'll bother with cleaning them up. But what you need to do is accept those who come to Christ. Accept them like God accepts them and receive them into fellowship. Wow. Well, we could go on and on with the important things in the 15th chapter. But let me leave you with a little takeaway. What did I take away today from hearing the 15th chapter of Acts? Number one, that God knows the end from the beginning. Number two, that the church should be filled with ministers. Filled with people who bear a responsibility of sharing the gospel with others. Whether it's you know, evangelizing, encouraging, teaching, we all have a part to do. And number three, we should refuse to be drawn back into our old ways just because somebody from our past, somebody from our old way might come to church with us. If you're lifting up your hands and worshiping the Lord when your best friend is not here, then when they come, this will not impress them. If you are, you know, are hugging everybody's neck when so-and-so's not here and only people that so-and-so likes when they are here, hello, that's what he's addressing. He's addressing the schisms and divisions in the church. These things, as I read through Acts 15, they should not be named among us. And I don't know of any in our church. But God is a preemptive God. Let this be our future. That we are so embracing and loving. And that we are the same whether, you know, I mean, if, if, if your best friend comes to church. And they weren't even aware that you went to church. Come on now. Don't let them negatively influence you because you will influence others. Amen. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. And he has a plan for our life. Amen. He does.